You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Um, and Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome back, Father Sebastian. It's a blessing to be here together for our reflections on the lectionary for the Sunday of the Blind Man, or the Sunday of the Man Born Blind, uh, in which we take a look at John chapter 9, chapter 9, verses 1 through 38. So I want to encourage you to get out your Bibles. We're going to focus today just on this gospel text because, as you'll see now and on Sunday, the gospel is quite long, and, uh, and we want to, uh, to be able, there's just, there's a lot here, and we want to be able to, uh, to spend a little bit of time on it. So let's jump right into the text, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 38. At that time, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned, nor have his parents, but that the works of God were to be manifest in him. I must do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the spittle and spread the clay over the man's eyes and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is interpreted sent. Father, I'm going to stop right there for a minute. We're going to do this maybe this because this gospel text is so long. We're going to, uh, to stop along the way in, in various spots and uh, ask you to share some insights. We also have our map to share so that people can kind of get a sense of Jerusalem. So why don't we stop there for a second and ask you for the, uh, the context in which this particular healing of the blind man takes place in the Gospel of John and in the context of Jesus's ministry. All right, so, so the Gospel of John, uh, the Synoptic Gospels tell us about one trip to Jerusalem. It's not that they're hiding the other, the other trips from us. It's just that the Synoptic Gospels are a little bit more simple in their structure. They tell us about Jesus' Galilean ministry, and then they tell us about a trip to Jerusalem in which it is the Passover, and which they crucified him, and God raised him from the dead, and there's the resurrection accounts. John's Gospel tells us a little more detail about uh, the, you know, the historical context of the life of Jesus, any man living, any pious Jew living in that region at that time is going to be going to Jerusalem whenever he can. He lives in Galilee. He's going to go to Jerusalem at least once a year, if not three times out of the year for the three great pilgrim feasts, but even more than that possibly. So in the Gospel of John, we hear about Jesus going back and forth between Galilee and Judea and many trips to Jerusalem. This is one of those trips to Jerusalem. This is towards the end of his ministry, and then he heals this man, 
and sends him to the pool of Siloam to wash. If maybe when you pull up the map, we can see this, that the, the southern tip of the city is where this pool was. There may have been a pool there originally, but, uh, you know, some sort of a natural pool is, but whatever the case may be, the pool of Siloam as we have it in the first century is primarily the result of Hezekiah having dug underneath the, the city and redirected that water from the spring of Gihon. So just to give a, we want to get a little bit of a broad view here for those that have not been to Jerusalem or unfamiliar with the city. This gives the basic layout of the city at Jesus's time. And you'll see, of course, the north is up here, south down here, east and west. This area down below is called the city of David, okay? And here's the temple, the Temple Mount, as we oftentimes see it today. Well, what we see today in the news of the Western Wall and things like that, the Western Wall is, is right over here on the western side. And it's just the it's just the foundation leftover foundation walls that have been kind of dug out. But the temple, of course, is gone, destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. But in Jesus's time, that was there. You can also see the Kidron Valley, which we know from the scriptures. Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, over here on the eastern slope of the city of Jerusalem. So this is this eastern slope area. So you'll see that Spring of Gihon, which King Hezekiah rerouted about 700 years, if I'm not mistaken, Father Sebastian, 700 years before the coming of Christ, as the Babylonians or the Assyrians were attacking uh, the city of Jerusalem, and he rerouted that here into the city so that they would have that fresh water in the pool of Siloam. Did you have anything else to add about the map itself before I bring the graphic down, Father? Not, not really. It's just that that's that pool there, and that helps. It's really helpful for us when we're looking at these things. If, if the author says he went to this location or that location or he passed by this city, we should stop if we don't know that location and get out a map and try and make some sense out of it because it's obviously intended as part of the story. And if we well, don't know that location or whatever, we, we might not understand exactly what's going on here. One example of that is that the area most likely that, the, that this blind man met Jesus would have been just outside the temple precinct on the stairs, which traditional is the location where he was there begging at the entrance to the temple over here. You can go there today and sit on those stairs. We love to do our Bible study there in Jerusalem. My point about that is that to walk from here down to the pool of Siloam, you have to understand this is a very steep slope down almost to the valley floor uh, uh, near the Kidron Valley. So in the Gospel of John, John is trying to show people who are coming to faith. And we have that in the Samaritan woman. We have that in the paralytic. And then we have that in the story of the blind man. The blind man is, is the is a quintessential image of the, of the man of faith because here's a guy who can't see. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus has been doing miracles in the Gospel. He's been doing many, many miracles. And, and this miracle kind of almost comes to this the, the, the high point of his ministry and in which he says those are present who've seen all his miracles still have not come to faith. But here's a man who hasn't seen anything with his physical eyes, but he's been given spiritual insight. And when Jesus says, he doesn't just heal him right there. He says, go down to the post Siloam, which means the guy has to trust in the word of God. And if he trusts in Jesus's word, then the healing which he seeks will take place. 
And, uh, and it's just such a beautiful story. And it, knowing the geography, the layout of Jerusalem helps us tremendously to understand this, this request that Jesus says, go down to the Pool of Siloam. It's a simple one-liner in the gospel, but man, is it packed with, with spiritual significance. So uh, with that, let's continue to read. So the blind man, he says, so he went away and washed and returned seeing. And the neighbors, therefore, and those who had seen earlier that he was blind began saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? And some, says, some said it is, but others said he only looks like him. Yet the man declared, I am the one. They therefore asked him, How were your eyes open? And he answered and said, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam. And wash, and I went and washed, and I see. You know, I'm going to stop again, Father, just to make one comment here about this, um, because this gospel is chosen for us in the context, of course, of the Paschal season, especially in light of all of which has taken place. And I want to clarify that for a minute. All of which has taken place for the catechumen. Of course, Great Lent is the journey of the catechumens, in which those of us who have already been baptized previously journey with them, and uh, in a sense, uh, enter through the baptismal font with them, renewing in our life this, the great mystery which has taken place in our baptism, whether it was 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 years ago, uh, to renew this, this realization and commitment to the new life which has been given to us, and now we're given this time of Pascha, these, these uh, 40 days to the Ascension, 50 days to Pentecost, to reflect upon this great mystery of, of holy baptism and what has taken place. And, and this is why this healing gospel and the healing gospels and the gospel of John are given to us during this Paschal season. Here, this man goes and washes, as the catechumens did in the baptismal font, and now he's given eyes to see. And while he is certainly healed physically, while this gospel tells us about a true historical event, more importantly, the man is able now to see, and all of us are able to see through the waters of baptism, to see, as Jesus said, to see the kingdom of God. Um, you know, I've been reflecting upon that. There's a little, maybe a little rabbit trail here, but I've been reflecting upon that beautiful line that Joseph of Arimathea He's described when he takes down the, the, he's given the body, Pilate gives him permission to take the body down from the cross to bury it. And uh, he's described as a, as a man of, of high rank in the council of the Jews who was looking for the kingdom of God. He's looking for the kingdom of God. What a beautiful description of those who are seeking uh, in all aspects of our life, that entrance into the kingdom, which we are given on, in the, on the day of our, of our baptism. Let's continue on. The gospel text says, and they asked him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. And they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath on which Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Again, therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. But he said to them, he put clay upon my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner work these signs? And there was a division among them. Again, therefore, they said to the blind man, What do you say of the one who opened your eyes? 
but he said he is a prophet. The Jews, therefore, did not believe of him that he had been blind and had got his sight until they called his parents of the one who had, who had gained his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son, of whom you say he was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we ourselves do not know. Ask him, he is of age, let him speak for himself. These things his parents said because they feared the Jews, for already the Jews had agreed that if anyone were to confess him to be the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said he is of age, question him. They therefore called a second time, the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We ourselves know this man is a sinner. He therefore said, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And they therefore asked him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, but you do not listen. Why would you hear a second time? Would you also become his disciples? They heaped abuse upon him, therefore, and said, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but for this man, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. In answer, the man said to, the man said to them, Why herein is the marvel, that you do not know where he is from? And yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, him he hears. Not from the beginning of the world has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were, born, you were altogether born in sin, and do you teach us? And they turned him out. Jesus heard they had turned him out. And when he had found him and said, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he it is who speaks with you. And he said, I believe, Lord. And falling down, he worshipped him. Father, there's, there's, a, there's a lot here, and certainly take more than we can comment on just uh, in our short time together today. But I'd like to focus on a couple of, of, um, of, of lines in the gospel and ask you to, to share your insights with us. Um, going back to this, uh, this first, this first say confession of the man born blind, where he says, when they ask him, what do you, you know about, what do you say of this man? He says, he is a prophet. We had a similar phrase that came up in our reflections on the Samaritan woman, where she kind of graduates through seeing him as a Jew to calling him sir eventually to calling him a prophet and eventually saying it's the Messiah has come. And it seems to me that there's a repetition here in the gospel of the blind man. Yeah. So that, that's exactly right. That as you know, you know, in the gospel of John, we see this cycle over and over where John basically tells the entire good news. He tells the gospel you know, right. 20 times in his gospel. So in fact, Many scholars think that maybe what we're looking at, we look at the Gospel of John, and we look at the Samaritan story or the blind man story. What we're looking at is the ways in which John would talk about the story of Jesus, maybe as they gathered together as Christians in Ephesus. He tells the story about the Samaritan woman, which has the whole story. It's the whole gospel there in a certain sense. And then now there's the, there's the blind man, which is really 
it's, it's kind of one whole story wrapped up in itself. And then you start looking at these individual stories and you, you see this pattern, like you noted, where the person first hears about this Jesus or encounters him and sees him either, like you said, a Jew, a man. It says in verse 10 here, uh, the man called Jesus made clay and known to So just like you said, with the Samaritan woman, you a Jew. So they're seeing him in a very earthly level. And then, then, they see something more, and he says, as you noted there in verse 17, he is a prophet, just like the Samaritan woman. And then finally, he's a prophet from God, verse 33. So not just any other prophet, but one from God. And then finally, we get to the ending, just like that Samaritan woman conversation with the identity of Jesus. And he says, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's verse 35. Son of Man, should remind us of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, when this one like a son of man rides in the clouds the ancient days. This is a messianic image. So this is very parallel, just like you said in the Samaritan story. Do, uh, I know that the Christ is coming, the Samaritan woman says. So now you get to the level of he is not just a prophet, but he's the Christ. And then, just like in the Samaritan woman, it doesn't end there. Because just like with the Samaritan woman, he says, I who speak with you am he. In the Greek there, ego imi, I am. That would remind any Greek-speaking Christian or Greek-speaking Jew, as they hear this story, it's going to remind them of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God gives his divine name. And in the Greek there, the divine name is translated in the Septuagint as Ego imi hoon, I am he who is. In our iconography, in the cross of Jesus and his halo, we get hoon, he who is, from that same passage. Ego imi, I am, appears in a number of places in John's gospel where you can see that John is expecting us to hear that echo. One, well, two clear examples of that is when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, and they pick up stones to stone him. They realize what he's saying. When, um, mm-hmm. when he's in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, me, I am. And then everyone falls on the ground. So he's revealed the name as he said he would in the previous chapter. So it's clear in John's gospel, if you look at a number of these passages, that Jesus, when he says, me" in the Greek, John is in, in, intending us to hear that in, in that Jesus is revealing in that story, that conversation with this individual, which here would have been Aramaic, but the, he's re, showing us that Jesus is revealing his divinity there. He's not just the long way to Messiah, but he ends the story, completes it, because the Jews in the first century were waiting for kings, two kings to return, the divine king and the human king, the Messiah and the glory cloud. And, uh, and so Jesus is in John's gospel keeps being revealed as not only that earthly Messiah, the anointed one, the son of man, the son of God, the one that has the spirit, but also revealed as God, the glory cloud dwelling among them. There's a, a whole discussion here that, that develops regarding where Jesus is from coming back to what you're saying in your last comments. Um, and I just want to focus on a few verses and ask you to comment a little bit on it. Verse 28 and following, it says, They reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, 
But as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And then, of course, later on, a few verses down, the blind man say, this is a marvel, you don't know where he's from, uh, if he were not from God. And there's this, there's this whole debate going on in the gospel where, of Jesus's origin. It's, it's interesting that if you really read, I encourage our participants to really read this gospel in, in very carefully, because as the blind man comes to know, comes to see, when the gospel of John, those two things are, are interchangeable, comes to see, comes to know, comes to this faith in, in Christ, those that are there that are the, uh, the uh, those that are standing around that are unable to come to faith become those who do not know and those who are unable to see and therefore cannot confess Jesus as the Christ. But this conversation about Moses comes up here. And it's an important conversation in the Gospel of John. And I just, it's, it jumped out at me that as you were talking about, that he is a prophet. And there's this idea back in, is it in, is it in Exodus or in Numbers, or it says a prophet like me will return. And this debate about Moses comes up in this very text. And it seems rich because there's all, there's, there's water imagery, healing with water. And of course, there's there's water in the life of Moses for the healing of the people. And I'm just wondering if you kind of bring that together for us. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. And, and, and you're, that's exactly right. The, when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, that's, this, is, this is his last kind yes. of will and testament to the people. He's about to enter. The people are about to go in the promised land without Moses. Moses can't go in. So Moses prays that the Lord would give them someone to guide them. He said, don't leave them without a, a leader. Don't leave them as orphans. And, and, and God says, don't worry. Bring Joshua over here. So, and lay your hands upon him. So we see this in, like you said, it's not only in Deuteronomy, we also see it earlier in Numbers. The selection, and even in the Exodus, the selection of Joshua is going to be the one who's going to succeed Moses. And, the, and that idea that he is a prophet like Moses is where we, in Deuteronomy 17 or 18, 15, where he says to the people, don't worry, the Lord will send a prophet. He will raise up a prophet like me who will lead you in all the places that he wants you to go. And so then when we get in the New Testament, we find the, the, they realize that Jesus is that prophet like Moses who has been raised up. They see that as really being fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus, being raised up, not just being brought forth to the people, revealed, but actually literally raised so that Jesus fulfills that, that prophecy of Moses and is therefore the one like Moses and the greater than Moses because he's going to lead them into the place Moses could not go, that is into the promised land. And as you noted, by crossing the water. You, you know, um, we can bring us all together again, bringing the catechumens uh, the, the image of the catechumens before us and this journey that the catechumen has made and then all of us have journeyed with him, that this man here undergoes a transformation uh, beginning, beginning with trust and faith in the word of God. And because of that trust and faith, because he could not see, he then comes to uh, be healed physically. But for, as I said in the Gospel of John, more importantly, he is the one who is healed as a representative of God's people. He's healed from the blindness, um, which uh, was over all of these people. But because of his trust in the word of God, he then is able to come to communion 
with the Lord. This is a challenging message for us and uh, an invitation, really, to ask ourselves uh, how we how how we fit into this story, how we where we stand in this story, um, and whether um, we've allowed ourselves to to say entrust ourselves to, to the Word of God completely. And if we and if we struggle and say, I want to see, but I can't see, then there are steps by which I come to see um, and steps by which I make a choice to give my life over to Christ so that I may begin to see in and through him. And I'll just finish by coming back to that image of Joseph of Arimathea um, and the one who is looking for the kingdom of God. It, it really has been um, a point of meditation prayer for me over the last few weeks. He's looking. He's looking at people and things. He's looking at the world and he's trying to, he's, he's looking for the kingdom of God. And what is that kingdom of God? It is, it is uh, God who is love from all eternity, who has shared a life of love. This is, I mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, one of the saints I was reading about uh, saying that the church is eternal because the, the eternal church is the communion of the father, son, and Holy spirit, which is now made incarnate in our midst. Uh, that we now participate in. Um, and, and of course, Joseph of Arimathea and this blind man begin to see that kingdom in, in Christ because he is that incarnate love of God who has now shared his life with us and restored us to his image and likeness that we might share our life with one another in the communion uh, of the eternal church, in the communion of God himself. Uh, which is the church established in our midst. Uh, there's, there's much to consider here in our prayers leading up to this Sunday and I encourage you to read over this gospel text uh, in detail and, uh, and draw some spiritual insights from it so that we're prepared to give glory to God as the, as the blind man gave glory for the sight that he was given that beautiful day in Jerusalem. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.